So this morning, just, just a thought has really been going through my mind over the last couple of weeks is just this idea of a table. I mean, you think of the significance of a table in your life, maybe the encounters that you've had at a table or maybe that you have at a table regularly. I mean, think about it. The table is where you most often have a meal with those you love the most, or maybe it's just you like the most. I mean, a, a table is often the places that we have game nights, laughter shared, stories are told, dreams are drawn up, plans are made. Maybe some of you, the table is a place where tears have been shed. Maybe it's, maybe it's restoration has happened over a meal or around the table or over a cup of coffee. I think for me, one of the most shaping moments of life came at a confrontation around a table. There's a table in Colorado Springs in the mountains outside of the city at a place called Bear Trap Ranch. It sits in a corner. It's a round table about six feet across. Six years ago, I sat at that table and I was venting about everything I didn't like about the job I had at the time and every reason why I was in the right and they were in the wrong and everything that I had figured out that they should be doing that they weren't doing. And I remember speaking this, and I had one of my mentors, his name is Scott. He was sitting across the table from me, and Scott's just nodding along in agreement as I'm talking and I'm venting. And I'm thinking, man, he's going to validate me at the end of this. It's just going to be this moment where I'm really, you know, vindicated in all that I feel. And so I take a pause for a moment to let Scott really just pour into me and really speak that really encouraging word. And he just looks across the table at me, and he just goes, how much of this has to do with your pride? I was like, all of it. And you think about it. The table is a place of significance. And as we approach the Easter season, we encounter a table in Scripture that has deep significance for those of us who follow Jesus. I mean, we've, we know it and call it the Last Supper. And the table that night was a place of a great lesson. I mean, it was a simple, simple setting. It was a borrowed upper room, a simple meal, and a group of outsiders gathered around a table. If you have your Bibles, we're going to spend some time in John chapter 13 this morning. Just keep your finger there. We're going to be moving through some scripture. But John chapter 13 tells us the story from John's perspective. Starting in verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. There's so much symbolism in this meal. I mean, this meal was a culmination of three years of ministry tied into one act of humility. But why use a meal? Why around a table? Why is that significant? I mean, if you're Jesus and this is, in a sense, your last lecture, why not make it in front of the masses, broadcast it over a jumbotron, something that was huge? And yet Jesus chose to do it over a meal around a table with a small group. Why? Again, this was not the first time that Jesus used a meal to impact his audience. 
But again, it's, it's this question of you read all through the book, the gospel of Luke, and it's all throughout there, and it's always going, why? Why a table? Why a meal? Now, in almost all cultures except Western culture, the table represents something sacred. It's a place of peace, of love, of covenant. Having others at your table is an honor, and hospitality is an art. But sadly, our world has often lost the lure and luster of the table. Meals around the table have become a lost art. Food is meant to be eaten fast. And when we do gather together, it's often with phone in hand or television on or music blaring or some other distraction taking place, and we're rarely all at the table at the same moment. And according to the Food Marketing Institute, just 40% of American families sit down to a meal together. And of that, no more than two to three times a week. 60 years ago, the average family meal lasted 90 minutes. Today, it's just shy of 12. You pause at that statistic and you're going, what on earth did you do for 90 minutes? That is a lot of food. Let's be honest, most of us want to be invited over to a meal like that. But we truly want it. I mean, if we're honest about it, that's what we desire. But we've overcommitted our schedules in the pursuit of success. And our moments have often lost their significance. But God set out to make the table a deeply sacred place. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised then to find that God shows up throughout Scripture around tables. In fact, it's worth noting that at the center of the spiritual lives of God's people in both the Old and New Testament, we find a table, the table of Passover and the table of communion. Exodus 12 tells us the story of Passover. We'll have the verses up here. In verse 3, God says this, he says, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for the whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Verse 7, he says, Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they will eat the lambs. Down in verse 13, The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. 14. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. This was a meal that was initiating the freedom of God's people. It began with a meal, and it began with blood. Interesting. We'll see that again. This meal meant protection. The Passover meal was a meal to remember. It was a meal that God ordained to be celebrated for generations to come, a meal that is still celebrated today. And this meal was set in motion to initiate the freedom for God's people from slavery. Again, fast forward to the Last Supper, a meal where we find our guidelines for communion, the celebration of the sacrifice. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright made an interesting note here. He says, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, 
He didn't give them a theory. He gave them a meal. And Scripture tells us Jesus told the disciples, I have longed to share this meal with you. Because this meal was going to usher in a new covenant. Because it was time once again for God to bring freedom to his people. Here's what I found this week that really kind of sent this home for me. It says, animals feed, humans eat. Human beings transform their animal need to eat, our animal need to feed into human eating, which translates into community and culture and intimacy and shared experience. And you think about it. People sit down at a table. We sit at the table and we share in an experience. We share food together. Someone has prepared a meal and someone brings it and presents it and we pass it to each other. We serve one another. It's not a feeding trough. It's a place of shared experience. I found a quote from a Jewish rabbi that really sent this home for me. He says, Jewish tradition recognizes a meal as a time for intimacy, fellowship, and significant conversation. Kindness is the basic mood of the Jewish meal. People are fed and nourished, and in this intimate setting, people talk with each other about what matters. That is why the rabbis say that if people eat together and Torah talk, scripture talk, is not exchanged, then the meal is a vain enterprise. If eating does not create the opportunity to teach and to learn, then it becomes biological feeding. Jesus' disciples had spent countless meals with him, and so you would almost think that they would have seen this moment coming. This, this meal was going to be significant. After all, they were preparing to celebrate the Passover. But obviously they had missed it. Luke twenty two twenty four captures the moment perfectly. It says, Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. I mean, these guys still didn't grasp what was about to happen in their presence. They were so eager to determine who was the most significant. They would have jockeyed for position at the table because that meant something. And yet they're missing the moment. These guys were there when Jesus called Matthew. And Matthew invited all of his tax collector friends and prostitutes and notorious sinners over for a meal. And they were there when they heard Jesus proclaim, I have come to reach those who are far from God. And they were around the table the night that Jesus sat down with his biggest critics, the Pharisees. They witnessed a woman come in and anoint Jesus and they sat and listened as Jesus confronted the Pharisees with the truth. They watched as Jesus took everything that they held as tradition and flipped it upside down. The outsiders were now the insiders. The disciples had a front row seat of this. And they were the first and most obvious recipients of this because these were not the cream of the crop. These were not the sharpest guys. These guys had been passed over by other rabbis and yet they were chosen to walk with Jesus. They watched as tax collectors now became part of Jesus' following. Tax collectors were considered the lowest of the lows. Many of you are familiar with Zacchaeus. Jesus encountered Zacchaeus one day and walks up to him. Zacchaeus was a notorious tax collector. Jesus walks up to him and says, I'm going to come to your house and we're going to share a meal. 
Jesus had the ability just to simply invite himself over. I mean, who's going to argue? You're Jesus. You can do that. But that meal shaped the life of Zacchaeus and ultimately shaped the life of a community because of a shared experience around a table, an invitation from Jesus. And in that moment, we have one of Jesus' most famous quotes, Luke 19.10, where he says, I came to seek and save the lost. The forgotten are now remembered. The have-nots are now the haves. Meals are now a place where all are welcome. The table had truly become a sacred place. Now, I know what you're thinking. When I say that, you go, my table is not a sacred place. My table is the collect-all in my house. If it doesn't have a home, it goes on the dining room table, right? You know what I'm saying? And you go, well, you've never seen a meal around my house. It looks more like biological feeding. I don't, I get it. I have three boys. Nothing surprises me. I know what it looks like. But at the heart of it, that's something that we want. We long for those type of table experiences. But too often we, we settle for warp speed or passing conversation. But that night at the table at what we now call the Last Supper was the pinnacle of Jesus' teaching moments. With one act of humility, he would tie them all together. And Jesus wanted them to understand what all of this meant. In John 13, 4, we pick back up. So he got up, so Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this is an astonishing moment because if you are the disciples and as John is capturing this moment, this was a moment that was ingrained in his mind because he captures it with such precision. It's not just enough that Jesus takes on the role of a servant and washes the dirty feet of his disciples, but he does so understanding that these men will soon abandon him in his greatest hour of need. And he goes to Judas the very man that is set to betray him and turn him over to the authorities. And his love remains unwavering as he washes Judas's feet. This is the same crew of guys who moments ago were arguing over who is the greatest among us, totally missing that they were in the very presence of the Son of God. I mean, let's be honest, the arguments like these sound very familiar to us. It may sound like your table. I know it sounds like my table a lot of times. And maybe you don't come to the table anymore because it's too painful. Maybe you don't come to the table anymore because you just don't have time. Jesus got it. They'd been on the go constantly. He knew full well about what was about to happen to him and the abandonment he was going to suffer. And yet, he washed their feet. But he wasn't just going to leave it out there and let it hang and just be like, well, I washed your feet, so there it is. He goes on in verse 12. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes back on and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash each other's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In that one act, in the following words, Jesus completely shattered all of their preconceived ideas as to what he expected of them and how he wanted them to treat other people and ultimately how the movement of Jesus would be advanced. So don't miss this. Jesus was using that moment around the table to mean invitation, inclusion, and instruction. I mean, every encounter that we have on record of Jesus' encounters around a table include these three things. I guess we come to this question. It's like, that's great. That's awesome. We've talked about a table, and Jesus had these amazing moments. And that's, that's cool because Jesus was Jesus, and he could do that kind of stuff. But what does that mean for me? Invitation. Respond to it. Extend it. It was for all, it always has been, and it still is. And for some of you, the invitation is to step in and be a part of the movement of Jesus. You, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, and yet you're like, I'm not sure what to do next. Respond to the invitation. Join in the movement of Jesus. We have to be a people who are willing to wash the feet of others. Now, I know some of you just said, I'm out, not doing that. I don't do feet. But that's not exactly what Jesus is saying. He's not saying go wash me. He says be willing to do what no one else is willing to do. Because that advances the kingdom. For some of you, it's an invitation to come to the table for the very first time. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're not really sure what that all means and what that entails. And you're maybe not even comfortable yet. But you have an invitation before you that says, join me. Maybe today, if that's what you're ready to do, I invite you to jump into our, the commons over here at the end of the service and talk with our prayer team and just ask the question, what does it mean to be in a relationship with Jesus? I want to know more. I want a seat at the table. Inclusion. Each time Jesus gathered around the table, he included a group that many of us may not feel comfortable inviting over to our house for a meal. I mean, these are the type of dinner guests that come over and steal things. And some of you go, yeah, that's me. I mean, it's my kids at least, right? But Jesus wasn't uncomfortable. That didn't matter to him, and it shouldn't matter to us. Because the gospel is a message of inclusion. It doesn't have boundaries and it doesn't have pre-qualifiers. Because when Jesus got up and washed the disciples' feet, he shattered all of those things. It wasn't based on conditions. Because at the table, it says, join me just as you are. At the table, it says, we are in this together. Instruction. Jesus told them, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. He was telling them, you have seen me and followed me for three years. And you've witnessed all that I have done, all the encounters that I have had, all the lessons that I have taught. And I will sum them up in one act. Now go and do the same thing. Being a servant in history is to play a role that gets no recognition. 
in an effort to ease the burden of those you help. There's no glory and there's no fame. And this is the way that Jesus ordained us to advance the kingdom. Servanthood was at the heart of what Jesus was driving into his disciples that night. Servanthood is the lifeblood of the movement of Jesus. And so serve those who won't say thank you. And serve those who don't deserve it. Because it's the way the kingdom moves forward and it's what the king did. I saw this play out a number of years ago in my student ministry days. I got to take a group of students to New Orleans to work after the hurricane came through. We had a bus driver that took us down. His name was John. At the end of the trip, John gave me a letter. It's a three-page letter. John writes really small. There's a lot in there. I didn't realize the impact my students had had on John's life. I didn't tell them to do this. This is stuff they did. I wanted to read you a couple of the excerpts from John's letter as he paints the picture of what servanthood looks like. He says this, he says, when I saw that it was a group of students, I got a gut feeling I was in for a long trip, as many of us would, right? He said, I was wrong. I had a couple of good reasons to back out of this trip, but something was telling me to go. Fast forward a little bit. He said it was dinner time. I followed a large group into Arby's and was blown away when someone had actually saved me a seat. As we got into Buras, Louisiana, where we would serve, he says, I knew all of you would get off the bus and complain. Again, I was wrong. I was blown away with all the offers to stay and help, but there was a hotel room with my name on it. Don't blame him. You fast forward the letter, and John begins to explain there was something within him that says, I need to go back. I got to go back. And so John shows back up a couple days later with the bus, and he's like, I checked out of the hotel. I'm staying here with you guys. I'm like, Sweet, it's going to be great. It says, that night after dinner, I decided to sit in on the circle, which is the way we debriefed. Actually, I tried to sit in on the outside. I was informed by a few young ladies that that was against the rules, and they made, a room, they made room for me. I was really glad they did. Next night, it was circle time, and I figured if I sat at the table behind everyone, that I would get away. Wrong. I was quickly added. That night, our seniors decided, hey, we want to wash everyone's feet. I was like, okay, let's do it. One of my students, his name was Grant, said, I want to wash John's feet. I was like, all right, I don't know what John's going to think about this, but okay. He says, I do not know what I did to deserve having my feet washed. I felt like I should have been washing your feet. You all never hesitated to talk to me. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of your team. Finally, I want to thank all of you again for a trip that I will always hold dear to my heart. I believe God sent me on this trip for a reason, and you all helped me realize that reason. Servanthood is the lifeblood of the movement of Jesus. Jesus said in John 13, 34, he said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's an invitation to invite others Include them and love them with a love that defies logic, that compels life change, that shows them who Jesus is, that challenges their view on life. Time around the table has the power to transform lives and relationships.
I think of the show Parenthood and the Braverman family. Many of you are familiar with them. If you're not, there was a large family, dysfunctional at best at times, but we related to them. We found somebody in the family that we related to. They were like us. Their story wasn't perfect. They experienced life's ups and downs. They had these crazy moments, but it always seemed that things ended around a giant table in this beautiful backyard. And no matter what had previously happened, in that moment, all was well. And in that moment, everything was forgotten and forgiven. They were supportive no matter what. They weren't afraid to need each other. There was a ton of love. Life lessons abounded. They weren't perfect, and that wasn't a problem. The table was always a place to call home, and they included outsiders. And at the end of the day, if we're honest, that's the kind of table we want to be invited to. And that's the kind of table that Jesus' invitation through the gospel invites us to. And it's the kind of invitation that he has instructed us to give to others. Jesus gave us the instructions to create a place where everyone can come as they are. At the crossing, that's one of our values, is to be a place where you can come as you are. As Christ followers, we need to make sure there are no boundaries. The gospel is open for all. Approach everyone with humility. Restoration is available to all. And we will commit to love you as he loved us. That is what it means to be invited to the table. I mean, after all of this, I never realized a table could teach us so much. It's just a table after all. I mean, the table is simply an invitation tool with significant meaning and opportunity. Jesus said it, you've seen me, now you go do the same thing. If we'll commit to doing this very thing, to serve like no one else will serve, and to love like no one else will love, it has the power to transform our life and the lives of people that we intersect with around a table. As we say, come as you are. I want to introduce you to Jesus because he'll change your story. Lives will change. Our kids will change. Our families will change. Our marriages will change. Our futures will change. And it starts in the same way as Jesus approached a number of his dinner guests. Join me. We're in this together. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we're grateful for the fact that you offered us an invitation to join you. That you made a way that would include all of us. And God, we're glad that you instructed us through a simple act of humility as to how we could extend the same types of invitations to other people so that they could experience you like we have experienced you. So God, today, may clear our invitation. If it's to join you at the table for the first time, God, show us that. And if to join you in the movement, show us that. Father, we long to be at the table with you. We're grateful for all that you've done for us. And the covenant that you've made with us to be in relationship with us through Jesus. We pray this all in his name. Amen.